Welcome to the I Work For Him Power Pod. I'm Michael Miracle, producer for I Work For Him, the voice of the faith in work movement. We are on mission to transform the workplace of every Christian into a mission field. Each quick listening power pod is designed with you in mind and jam-packed with kingdom resources to help you connect your faith and work. How will this impact your workplace? Let's find out right now. For decades, maybe even centuries, the business motto has been, the customer's always right and the customer comes first. How's that working for us today? Not good and not good at all. The general market news media has one thing right, and it's only marginally right about it. Corporate America has become a bastion of wealth creating and people ignoring where the stockholders come before the customers and the employees. That's Jim's opinion. As Jesus followers, we know this is wrong. What's funny is the economists are now coming to their senses and seeing this is wrong as well. When the employees of an organization feel treated like a number, they respond like a prime number. They are lonely with one as their only ally and the ability to divide and conquer is destroyed. That was a whole thing on prime numbers in case you missed that. (laughs) When employees work in an environment where they're genuinely loved and appreciated, the bottom line results are impacted exponentially. So who's talking about this anyway? Will corporate America ever wake up and realize this? Probably not until Jesus followers at the top of widely known companies in the U.S. start leading by loving instead of leading by pressure. How did Jesus bring out the best in his 12 disciples? He loved them unconditionally and showed that firm rebukes with a loving touch, and then he died for them. Are you willing to lead? Are you willing to die? Well, Randy Ross and I talked about his book, Relationomics, as Martha and I have a chance to just look at a business powered by relationships. Dr. Randy Ross, welcome back to I Work For Him to talk about Relationomics. Well, it's great to be with you, Jim and Martha. I enjoyed being with you before and looking forward to being able to talk about Relationomics today. Before we get to the book, we always like to ask one deeply personal question. So here's the deeply personal question for the day. At what point in your career did you realize that your faith was desperately needed in your work life? <laughs> well, that was, that was pretty early on. Um, I actually spent the first 20 years of my, my career uh, pastoring churches, both in Texas and in Florida and encouraged people continuously to, to seek God's best in, in their own lives, but particularly in the workplace, realizing that that's where they spent the majority of their time and energy. And so uh, that connection for me came pretty early. So you actually got it as a pastor that you were equipping them for doing the work, the 95% of their lives that they spent outside of the church. You actually helped equip them for doing that work. Well, not only equip them, but then made a transition into the marketplace myself, Jim, which was something that early in my career I never thought I would do. But I realized that the next great wave of spiritual awakening is going to take place in the marketplace. And the greatest place that we as believers can impact the lives of others is in the workforce. And so uh, my, my passion is to uh, help people find their passion and their purpose in life. And a lot of that relates to how God designed us and created us to be contributors in the marketplace. Mm. You know, Ken Blanchard opens your book. By the way, congratulations. That's really cool. But he opens the book with a statement, the best leaders know that healthy relationships are the secret to great results and human satisfaction. If that's true, why did you have to write a book about it? It seems simple enough. Couldn't you just add one page? (laughs) Yeah, probably we could because it it seems like common sense, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, we know that people thrive and, and organizations flourish in relationally rich environments, but Unfortunately, practicing the principles that lead to healthy relationships is not not commonplace in the marketplace. It should be, but I think as leaders, we make this vast assumption that if people 
reach a certain level of uh, chronological maturity. In other words, there are certain age that along with that, they've grown to maturity when it comes to building healthy relationships, and that would be a, a mistaken assumption on many fronts. And so the idea of being able to help people build healthier relationships is, is critical, and that's what we wanted to try to do in this book, bring people to a place where they begin to understand that their work is a form of worship, and how they work shows what they worship, and at the very center of that work environment uh, needs to be healthy relationships. How they work shows what they worship. You just said that. That's fantastic. Well, I appreciate that. That's <laughs> the heart of what we're talking about, because here's the thing. God created us to live in community, uh, and we know that to be true from Genesis. You know, and God lives in Trinity, and he created us to have and enjoy fellowship with him. But unfortunately, um, and we talked about this somewhat in the book, although I, I, I will confess right up front that if you have listeners <clears throat> that are believers trying to make an impact, in an environment where maybe their faith is not as well embraced, this may be a book that can help them communicate transformational truths because most of the work that we do, Jim, is in, in Fortune 500 companies. And so although I have a pastoral background, I can't lead with faith. When we go in and we talk, we talk about principles of axiology, which is actually a kissing cousin of theology. But we have to, to couch truths in a way that the marketplace can both embrace and endorse them. And so we don't do that with chapter and verse, but you'll see right away that all the principles that we talk about are deeply biblically rooted, uh, although we don't refer to that. Um, but, but truth, as you and I both know, only has one source. That's so right. So as we cast that truth out into the marketplace, it's not going to return void. So what do you think the lie is in the self-help movement that's going on right now? Well, that's a great question, Martha, um, and I, I think I could probably enter into this conversation by by drawing you back to an, an old Frank and Ernest cartoon. You remember Frank and Ernest? <laughs> Absolutely. They were always you know single-picture cartoons of these two hobos that traveled together, and I'll never forget one where Frank, while he was pulling his suspenders with pride, said this. He said, well, I guess you could say that I'm a self-made man, to which Ernest replied, well, then that demonstrates the horrors of unskilled labor. <laughs> and, it, and it kind of puts it into perspective because the reality is the world says, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, make the most of yourself, you can do it on your own, look out for number one, what's in it for me, all those kinds of things. But the reality is, is that we can't grow to maturity apart from relationships. Maturity, by its very definition, means how well we play in the sandbox with other people. And all of us have areas of our character that have yet to be crystallized. We call them blind spots, right? There are things that other people see about us that we don't see or, or ways that we're perceived that we don't intend to project ourselves in that fashion. And so we need other people speaking truth you know, with grace into our lives, but speaking truth nonetheless in order to point out those areas of our character that we, we still need to, to refine and rub off the rough edges. So, Randy, you were telling us that, you know, we often believe it or not, have blind spots in our lives. <laughs> and so that can sometimes get us into a little bit of trouble. So, so continue that conversation. Well, we need to be engaged in deep relationships with people who, who love us deeply enough to speak the truth into our lives. And we, we all have superficial relationships and acquaintances, but, um, but, but we're rich relationally when we have uh, a, tr a few very trusted 
individuals who we walk together with and rub shoulders with, and, and they're, they're willing to run the risk of the relationship to sharpen us as iron sharpens iron and speak truth into our lives. And that's why we spend a great deal of time in the book talking about the need for being able to not only prepare yourself to receive feedback well, because most people don't receive feedback well, but also being able to consistently ask for feedback. Because it's only in feedback that we're ever going to be able to get those nuggets of truth that we need in order to move toward maturity. Okay, well, speaking about feedback, it's impossible to get feedback if you're not in community with others. And you say in your book that Adam and Eve were created for community, community with themselves and community with God. Then all of that was lost when sin entered the world. You say then that everyone is born with the desire for enlightenment, that they, they really have this, this emptiness inside. They're constantly trying to fill with something, but enlightenment can't be found outside of community with others. Neither can feedback. So why is it that enlightenment can't be found on my own by reading great books and listening to YouTube videos? Well, it's, it's actually the original why. It's, it's, it's actually a philosophy called Luciferianism, Jim. And Luciferianism refers back to the story in the Garden of Eden uh, that we find in Genesis where Lucifer approached Eve. Uh, Adam was right there, but he was sitting in the shadows or standing nearby. And and, uh, Satan, in the form of a serpent, posed this question, did God really tell you that you couldn't touch or eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And um, Eve gave her response, and he said, you know, that's preposterous, because he knows that in the day that you partake of that fruit, that you'll know all good and all evil. Here's my question. They only knew good. The garden was paradise. It was Eden's. Why in the world would they ever need to know evil? But mm. here's what Lucifer was actually saying. He was saying, you can become enlightened, and you can have the knowledge or the omniscience of God, self-enlightenment, you can, you can have knowledge, the knowledge of God, apart from a relationship with God. And that was the lie. And that's the lie we still believe today, that we can do it ourselves. We can pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, that we can attain a certain sense of maturity or enlightenment apart from a relationship, because we can't do that interpersonally here on this earth, and we can't do that spiritually without a relationship with God. So I want to dig deeper into this. What does this relationomics really look like? But you capitalize on a list of lies on, on page 39 of your book. So everybody should make a note when you get the book, page 39, of leadership fallacies or false statements that leaders often make. I, I mean, and, and it's the kind of garbage that I have heard and been taught at leadership conferences for decades. And, and yeah. I want to just, I, and th- these are like, they're powerful statements. Like, it's lonely at the top. You cannot be close to your people and lead them well. I have to keep my personal life and my professional life separate. It's hard to have close relationships at work. I can't let others see my weaknesses. My people don't have to like me to follow me. And then there's so many other ones. Where did this garbage come from? Because it is so untrue, yet it is exactly how leadership is practiced in corporate America today and in, in nonprofit America today and in church America today and in, and in, and in. I mean, it is, it is pervasive in our entire society. Well, it is, and I think it just speaks to the lack of relational maturity. It, it's back to the lie all over again. I mean, if you're a leader and you think it's lonely at the top, I'm just here to tell you that you're doing it wrong because mm. it shouldn't be lonely at the top. It shouldn't be lonely anytime if we're living in community. 
And uh, the only way to do that is really to practice the principles that lead to healthy relationships. And so that's why we felt the necessity to write this book. So, so let's talk about then, so why, you know, it seems like a lot of leaders embrace those kind of like badges of honor. Like they, you know, I can't bring my personal life into work and I got to, you know, be this tough person and not have any feelings in my workplace. So um, why, why do we do that? Is it self-preservation? Is it um, I'm better than you? Why do you think that we think that that is a better approach? Well, both of those plus more, but I think that there are several things that contribute to unhealthy relationships in the marketplace and, frankly, anywhere. Mm-hmm. One of those is a, an underlying sense of competition. Uh, when we were kids, you know, growing up and playing sports, we were always uh, taught to believe that you had to come out on top, that you've got to be the winner. And so competition, while it's deeply innate within us, it's also ingrained in us by society. But as I speak and share with people all the time, you will always, always garner more through collaboration than you ever will through competition. And we can break that down and talk about that at at quite length. But a lot of times, uh, organizations leverage our natural propensity toward competition to elevate performance. The reality is, a lot of times, it's self-sabotaging. Because when one group begins to compete with another group, you, you create silos within the organization. And why would one group, if they're competing against another group, ever share best practices? Um, they wouldn't. They want to keep the secret sauce. And so organizations um, challenge themselves all the time by leveraging this unhealthy sense of, of competition. And then just the whole idea of, of self-promotion and self-protection, which also accompanies the spirit of competition because we, we don't feel like we can be authentic or transparent. If people really saw me for who I was. Mm-hmm. They may not accept me, or it's this this lie, this fear that so many leaders live with. <clears throat> well, it goes like this: if if they discover that I'm not all I'm supposed to be, then what? Yeah. Okay. So let's. I mean, we just. I mean, I, I listed off some of those things. This is you know typical leader. Uh, will say these things. I can't let others see my weaknesses. My people don't have to like me to follow me. It's hard to have close relationships at work. I have to keep my personal life and my professional life separate. You can't be close to your people and lead them well. Give me an example of a leader today that understands that those are lies and that he can have be real, authentic, transparent, vulnerable as a leader and still be a successful leader. Well, the the marketplace is filled with individuals and I'm encouraged because I'm seeing more and more and more leaders grow to understand this and begin to walk in healthier ways. But authentic, transparent leaders are the ones that engender trust. And trust is absolutely essential because it's the commodity of leadership. So your best leaders in the marketplace are those who don't lead by fear and by force, but they lead by influence because they set the right example. So they're, they're your level five leaders. They're your servant leaders. They're the ones that aren't afraid to show their humanity. And they feel very comfortable uh, walking and leading in a spirit of humility. Uh, they're the ones that that I think garner the greater fellowship than those who try to self-protect and self-promote. You've been listening to I Work Room with your host, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace definitely is our mission field, but ultimately, I work for him. Thank you for listening to the I Work For Him Power Pod with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. Want more? Hear the full broadcast at iworkforhim.com. 
Stay connected and receive Power Pack content when you sign up for our blog at iWorkForHim.com or follow us on social media at iWorkForHim. And finally, if today's message inspired you, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Your review helps launch more workplace missionaries across the nation. That's at iWorkForHim and online, iWorkForHim.com.